Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you do have any questions about your yard, your landscape, or anything else, 314, not anything else, has to be related to plants, of course. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions and or comments or opinions or whatever. Every Saturday morning we get together, we get together to discuss whatever's going on in your yard or maybe your neighbor's yard. That stupid limb of the neighbor's tree keeps hanging over and it's a birch tree and now it's dropping leaves all over the place. I'm sick of it. What can I do? Those kind of things. Or maybe my lawn looks great. How do I keep it looking very good? Or those perennials really look nice. How long will they bloom? Those kind of things. But please remember my words, open opportunities. After that, it's going to take work on your part in this great marathon called gardening. It's never a sprint. There's just no sprints. to There isn't. And uh, remember, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Matt. He's again producing today. And... Uh, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations, Revised Missouri Gardener's Guide and a Month-by-Month Gardening in Missouri. Also, I write articles from Missouri Gardener Magazine. And I was so sad. I am the last page, basically, besides the cover in Missouri Gardener Magazine. So... I don't know how I ended up at the last page, but it doesn't matter. This, this issue, I f- wrote an article on weeds. So uh, if you're interested, you can take a look there. And uh, t- if you'd like for me to come to your home and do what I call a walk and talk, which is a landscape consultation, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is where my email address and phone number is, and we can set up a time where I'll come to your home. And uh, the Good Gardening Stroll, it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. What better place than to to celebrate Pollinator Week? Now, today and tomorrow, tomorrow's the last day of Pollinator Week, so hopefully you've been out pollinating. (laughs) But uh, what better place than Brightside St. Louis? And where is Brightside St. Louis? Well, it's kind of where Vandeventer becomes Southwest Avenue, right at Kings Highway, Shaw neighborhood, the whole, you know, whole thing. So I pulled in and went down the alley and parked illegally where it says parking for Brightside St. Louis only. But uh, as I stepped out of the car, gosh, the breeze was so nice. It was just a perfect day to be wandering around. And I could hear water in the distance. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, what is that water? I'll have to find out. But anyway... This is a great place. They've got a whole whole garden on the, I guess it would be on the south side of the buildings. And uh, this is a demonstration garden where they got all kinds of stuff there. And it was just, it was very, very nice. Little rolling hills with lawn on them. 
and all kinds of other things. As I stepped out, as I said before, there's some uh, giant sunflower sculptures, which actually serve as umbrellas for like kind of a, a central place where they give talks and things like that and have meetings. And uh, there's a sign there that says, right plant in the right place. And that's right in front of a buttonbush shrub, which buttonbush is a shrub that blooms in the summer. It's not used too much, but actually in my neighborhood there in uh, Christie Park, there's one that's uh, right on, let's see, what would that be? I guess Holly Hills. But anyway, there's two of them. But they're just now finishing blooming. So this is a very interesting shrub. If you'd like to take a look at it, it's called Buttonbush and uh, it's flanked by a sea of four to five foot yellow perennial sunflowers. And the Babbling Brook offers an attraction to pollinators. So what that is is part of a whole rain garden complex that's in, within this garden for a bright side St. Louis. And um, as you're walking around, part of the walkway is actually broken glass has been mixed with Osage River crushed rock. It's very porous, so the water doesn't rain water or storm water or melting snow or ice doesn't just run off. It actually sinks in and then works its way into the soil, which is actually of benefit to the plant material. And mesmerizing surface, uh, wow, yes, it really looks kind of cool. You look down there real close, you can actually kind of see some of the, you know, I guess crystals of glass, but it's not sharp or anything. You don't have to worry. There's spears of liatris. And what they are is, with, along with information about migrating pollinators. So migrating pollinators, be it monarch butterflies or be it hummingbirds. There's boulders all over the place, and they play a role in the prairie garden, too. So you can see how many different gardens are in this relatively small space. Another sign reminds how important animals are for flowering plants. There are over 200,000 pollinators in the entire world, and over a 1,000 of them are animals, be it hummingbirds, be it bats, and all kinds of other things like that. The remainder are bees, you know, ants, wasps, beetles, butterflies, all that other stuff. The morning breeze, uh, wow, it was really moving the junipers that they have for a background really nicely. And the junipers have blueberries on them. So it was perfect time of year to just be there and just kind of watching everything. Many varieties of ornamental grasses. All types of birds were hopping all over the place. The huge hibiscus was planted down in the rain garden area. This is the type of hibiscus which wants a, west or a moist soil, and the flowers are any place between six to nine inches across. There's blue perennial ageratum as well, very close by. A sign reminds that pollinators deliver our foods. About one-third of the food and th other things that we consume rely upon pollinators. So... This is the official demo garden for Brightside St. Louis. And the, the official entrance, I came in the back way, there's a huge monarch butterfly sculpture right there. And also planted along the parking area, milkweed. It's right there, and it's patiently waiting to pop open. There's a great wall mural with a sign that reminds, please do not litter. What a perfect day for a pollinator week to almost be over but a perfect day to walk around in Brightside, St. Louis. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we'll be getting to the phones in one second. Just remember, if you're growing plants in containers, and I'm assuming they're not swampy plants or anything like that that have drainage in the bottom, 
you should be fertilizing all these plants every two weeks, whether they're roses, whether they're perennials. The only thing that doesn't apply to is cactus, succulents, or herbs. Do not over-fertilize your herbs. Do not overwater your cactus, succulents, and herbs, either one. But anything else, you should fertilize every two weeks, from everything from a small one to a hanging basket to a large one filled with all kinds of cannas or whatever it happens to be. So anyway, every two weeks, fertilize your containerized plant material. Let's go to Maryville, Illinois, and go into Joe's yard. Joe, how are you? Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. I've got a, a crab apple. I keep the little tag that says Harvest Gold Crab Apple. Mm-hmm. Been in the ground about six, seven years. Uh, the soil, uh, the diameter of the tree at the soil level is only about three inches. It never caught on real good. Well, anyway, this last week, in just one week, the bottom third of the leaves have turned bright orange. Now, there's nothing on it. There's no holes in the leaves. And then some of the leaves are turning brown. And this is, I'm looking at it right now, the bottom third of the tree. It's not a big tree. Right. But... They're bright orange, and it happened in one week. What do you think is going on? I think you're probably, your sort of assessment of what's going on there in general as far as growth goes and everything else, the root system really never got well established. So if the tree was able to push out and form buds as far as the foliage goes, but it cannot hold on to those leaves once those buds, you know, the leaves push out from the buds. So the tree is basically you know, kind of in a state of decline. Anything I can do. I mean, it's it's sort of been alive for six, seven years. Right. <laughs> but it's, you know, the variety-wise, I don't, you know, there's about 5,000 different kinds of varieties of, uh, you know, crab apples. But when you get this kind of discoloration this time of year and you're not seeing spots on it, like it could be, uh, you know, cedar apple rust or apple scab or something like that, and it's only the bottom third, and they're discoloring like that, usually that means when something browns or turns the wrong color from the bottom upwards, that sort of indicates there's either too much water on the root system and it's drowned, or the root system never got established enough to uptake enough moisture for the tree to be healthy through the entire growing season. So the tree will eventually just get orange, brown, and die. Yes. (laughs) It may not be this year, but it sounds like it's in a state of decline. Just so it's not fire blight. No. Okay. Well, okay, I'll just uh, plan on replacing. Yeah, fire blight would be just the tips of branches, and they turn total brown almost, you know, very, very fast. But fire blight, uh, it can affect crab apples, but generally it's going after the pear trees more so than, uh, you know, something like a crab apple. This color is pumpkin orange. Yeah, that's uh, that says there's some real trouble. Okay, well, thanks, Mike. Yep, sorry. And now let's stay in Illinois and go to Belleville. And, Margo, how are you today? Well, good morning, Mike. I enjoy your program so very much. Well, thanks. I'm phoning about uh, two houseplants. I've been the recipient of orchids. I received one in April that was doing beautifully. It had two stalks just filled with blooms. The one... Did well for six, seven weeks. I only watered it one quarter cup of water every Friday. It was not in direct sunlight, but the one stalk just started, the bloom started to drop, the whole stem 
just withered up. And now the second stem is doing the same. The other second one, which I received just about four weeks ago, has the petals are all getting eaten, and there's a little black dot on them. A friend told me, wipe it down with alcohol, which I have done, but the beautiful yellow uh, petals have just been eaten up with something. I don't have any idea how to care for orchids. Can you help me? <laughs> Basic orchids are very, very tough. They're coming from a very specific greenhouse circumstance. The fact that flowers, they only flower for a relatively short period of time. So that fact that they're declining doesn't really mean too much. As far as as long as the leaves look healthy, that's what's most important. Now, as far as rubbing your plants down with alcohol, I don't necessarily recommend that. I would just and check on the underside of the leaf as opposed to the top of the leaf. I would just take a cotton ball with some like dishwashing soap and wash the bottom of the leaves and the top of the leaves. But orchids are very, very tough to, you know, and I mean, they're, it's just they want to have sun. So putting, putting them in full sun is actually what they really want. Even oh, I'm I see. A, yeah, the heat doesn't really matter. They're from the tropics. Well, I thought that, but I thought they were always in shade. No, so never. That's not I did not. They do have bright light, but it's not direct. Yeah, it should be in bright, bright as light as possible. And I'm assuming this is these are types of orchids that grow in bark as opposed to in soil. It would seem, yes, sir. Yeah. They so are in bark. you got to make sure that that basically this particular type grows in its native habitat, probably on the side of some kind of tree trunk or something like that. So it's, you know, they still really want, when they've been taken and hybridized and brought into the, let's say, our world, they want to have as much sunlight as they possibly can. And I wouldn't have any problem. Do you have a saucer underneath your orchid? Uh, they are in a metal pot. In a metal pot. So when you water, does the water come all the way out, the drainage holes in the bottom? and does No, some sir. Of no, there is no drainage hole. There's no drainage holes in the pots at all? No, sir. So... That, you know, that could be a problem in, its, in and of itself. But it sounds like to me that you're, you know, a quarter cup once a week doesn't sound like enough. They want to have a higher humidity circumstance. When I used to grow orchids, which I don't grow them right now, I always had them on my kitchen right, which was a south-facing window, very, very bright. And the humidity of the sink and everything else and the dishwasher and all that stuff kept the humidity level up. And that's, you know, one of the things that's really important. So okay. humidity, your moisture is very important. Orchid food is very important. So you got to go to your favorite garden center and get some orchid food. But again, they are very, very tough to grow. They're not an easy houseplant. There is an orchid society here called Orchid Society of Greater St. Louis. If you want to contact them too, if you know the specific variety, they you know they probably have a website or a way to get in, you know where they can get specific information to you. But well, the, thank you very much. Yeah, the or the flowers finishing and you know going downhill, that's nothing unusual. That's what happens. Well, and, the fact that the whole stem just turned yellow. Yeah, the stem doesn't, you know, the stem is all part of the flower. So that's it's kind of like anything that's, you know, has a flower on top of a stem that's not, you know, that's, you know, that's just Oh, so really, if the whole stem just yellows out and I did cut it off, it's okay as long as these leaves are vibrant. Yes, exactly. 
Well, okay. I thought the blooms lasted for years and years. Oh, no. For, for months. <laughs> they do not last for months. No, a couple uh, weeks, you know, at best. Maybe in oh. the wintertime, some of the other varieties, you know, the Oncidiums, which is one with a small flower, they may last a little bit longer. But if they're bigger flowered varieties, those flowers don't last all that long. Oh, well, I had total misunderstanding. I had a friend who, every time I went to her home, this orchid plant was just full of blooms, and it seemed like it bloomed 12 months of the year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for your help. Certainly. Good luck I'll with that. I'll see if I can make them come alive and bloom some more. Right. Again, oh, you know, contact do, do they bloom more than once a year? Yeah, they can bloom twice, you know, but usually it's not going to be much more than that. Again, get a hold of the Orchid Society of okay. Greater St. Louis. I need an education in it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, they're not easy to grow for sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions or comments or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're headed to North County and going into Leonard's yard. Hi, Leonard. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have some geraniums and flowers in pots on my patio. Mm Mm-hmm. And they include some begonias. Uh, The geraniums were looking very healthy, lots of blooms, good leaves. Then I started noticing maybe two weeks ago, things started to change. Now, the leaves are almost gone on the geraniums. um, And those that are there, they are full of holes. They kind of look like lace. Um, The blooms are kind of there. Some are coming back. Uh, and even on the begonias, the leaves are look like they're being eaten. What could be the problem? It's you know it's really kind of tough to tell. But uh, you know, basically early in the morning or later in the day, you know, evening as the sun starts going down, go out there and look on the underside of leaves. But you know, also you know, the, I mean, usually there's not going to be something that eats geranium leaves. Or eats begonia leaves. That's kind of a, you know, usually those are kind of insect-free as far as eating. You know, they can have other problems related to, let's say, too much water, too much this, too much that. But insects usually don't go for those particular plants. But always look for any kind of circumstance like what you're describing on the underside of the leaf. Then get, you know, it doesn't do any good to do a preventative-type spray unless you see the insects there. You don't bother you know, putting an insecticide, but I would get some insecticidal soap and then just have it there ready to use trigger spray or whatever it happens to be. And if you do see any, in, any insects, just shoot it right on there. But just make sure with your geraniums you're not overwatering. They have that big, thick stem, and they really don't want to be overwatered. And the begonias, anything with bigger stems like both of them have, the geranium has a bigger stem than the begonias, they, you know, overwatering can cause them stress, and stress plants, you know, it's not an invitation to insect problems, but it can certainly indicate that's, you know, part of the decline is that as, you know, versus, let's say, insects actually eating holes on your plants. Mm-hmm. How often should the geraniums be watered? They're in full sun the whole day. I would say, I'm assuming if they're in potting mix, I don't know how big the yes. pots are, but when the soil starts shrinking away from the inside of the pot, water them then, and then don't water them again. So depending upon the weather, it could be, you know, as three to four to five weeks before you water them. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Oh, because I would do maybe like every three days. <laughs> ah. But, you know, they, yeah. they get good drainage, so. That doesn't, you know, it's still probably too moist. And if you want, I don't know how many you have, but if you want to check it out just to see, just in general, just pull one of them out of the, you know, of the pot, you know, pot, potting mix, whatever, and see how much root system there actually is. Okay. And that way you can tell if you've been overwatering. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, and the insects are really not, shouldn't be that problematic, but just look early in the morning or later in the day and see if there's something on the underside of the leaf, because that's where the bugs hang out during the heat of the day on the underside of the foliage. Mm. Okay, so in the morning or evening? Yes. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with that. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Geraniums are something that's, you know, overwatering can really send them downhill quickly. Let's go to Centralia, Illinois, and into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Yes, I have a, uh, well, I don't know how to pronounce it. Some say piney down here, some say peony. But either way, I have one that has been here forever, and it greened up real pretty, and and I did not have one bloom on it. Wow. And so nothing changed? You didn't put a whole bunch of mulch over the top of it or anything? Wow, we that's really unusual because usually once they get, you know, if they're in a good place, there hasn't been a tree that's, you know, sort of grown over the top of it that might send root systems over near it or anything along that line. No. I don't, I don't you know, yeah, that's, that's kind of unusual because they are very, very tough and they are very long-lasting. And if there's been a history of blooming, then, you know, the only thing I can think of is when the buds, flower buds were starting to form, something happened in relationship to cold weather or something along that line. And then consequently, that's what's, you know, sort of like got rid of the flower buds before that you even noticed them. Wow. So, I mean, this as long as the foliage looks healthy, everything looks healthy, you haven't done anything to it out of the ordinary. Now, a little fertilizer certainly wouldn't hurt. But usually, I mean, they're pretty tough if they've, you know, if this plant's been in the same place for a long period of time. It's, you know, probably, like I said, if the leaves are in bright color and they're the right amount of leaves that you would expect of, this has to have, a, if it's been there for a long time, has to have all kinds of stems coming up out of the ground and not one flower formed. So that, to me, says something weather-related. Okay. I really appreciate it. When should I cut them back? Uh, basically... Watch out for powdery mildew on them, so you, I'm sure you know that, that gray stuff. You know, when that starts coming, go ahead and just cut those off. But usually sometime they'll start looking a little bit bad around Labor Day and cut them off and get that foliage off. You know, don't just cut them and just leave the foliage there. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much, and I really appreciate your show and your service. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, that's you know that's really kind of sad because peonies are, are peony or peony, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we really rely upon them. They only bloom for a relatively short period of time, but, I mean, they can last for a long period of time as far as being productive. Let's go to Jim's yard, and Jim lives in Alton. Hi, Jim. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hi. Um, hey, I just ordered some red raspberries and yellow raspberries in uh, gallon containers. And um, just wondering if can I keep those in the gallon containers uh, with like a uh, trellis or how do I go about that? Do I need to plant them in the ground? Well, um, you can probably for the summertime, I would leave them in the containers. 
because they're going to okay. be easier to care for. But they got to be in, you know, if you got a bar, you know, garden spot, just dig a hole and drop the whole pot down into a container. Fertilize okay. them and everything else. Yellow raspberries, I don't know how well they're going to do here. Okay. But the red uh, raspberries, you know, they do really quite well. But by dropping the pot into the ground, you know, through the heat of the summertime, it's easier for you to control, you know, moisture and everything else. And the summertime is really difficult for any new transplant. So to put something out this time of year where it's very cool for right now, but the next couple of days we're going to get back to the, you know, the torture, torturous type times. So just hold on to them in pots in the ground about an inch of the top of the pot above the surrounding ground, and then sometime in September, then that's when you can install them into your garden space. I see. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much. Yep, good luck with that. And uh, as far as fertilizing, uh, I would probably not fertilize them this year at all. I would just leave them alone and just kind of, you know, raspberries are one of my favorite and Tracy's favorites too, so we'll be over at your house to get some of those. <laughs> Wonderful. Do I need to water those every day? Not every day. Heavens no. Just watch okay. out about wa- overwatering. So Don't just overwater. Kind of, yeah. So if you go out and you notice in the heat of the day, the leaves, and this is for any plant, the leaves look a little wilted. That could be just because it's very hot. Always check your plant material First thing in the morning to see if the leaves are still wilted, then definitely water it then or water them then. Uh, but uh, if the leaves are rigid, don't do any watering. Okay, wonderful. Well, we'll see you this weekend. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Yep. Let's see. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, out to St. Charles we go. And, Treva, how are you today? I'm good. I have a question for you. I have, my son thinks it might be called Creeping Charlie. It's a scalloped, viney stuff that's in my yard, and it's taking over Uh, the yard, actually. So my question is twofold. Uh, how do I get rid of it? And secondly, when should I get rid of it? Because I'm going to have to reseed with grass once I get rid of that. And if I don't get it out of there, I think it might take over the world. It could, yes. And then they're going to come after you because you yes. started this invasion. But no, <laughs> any kind of broadleaf weed killer, so like a weed be gone, that type thing, would uh-huh. work fine on it. And I would go ahead and just randomly, you know, try it in a couple different locations and, you know, find out if it's going to work well. But with any kind of chemical that you're going to apply in the heat of the summertime, even though it's not that hot today, always read the label first. So, in other words, you can, if this is, you know, weaving in between your grass blades and everything else, uh, broadleaf weed killer only affects things with broadleafs. It doesn't affect things with narrow leaves like grass. So you don't have to worry about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and I can go ahead and do that right now then. Well, it'll be bald, you know, when I take out, because one area of my (laughs) yard is totally that. I mean, there's no grass. So uh, do I just leave it that way for a while and plant in the fall? Well, yeah, putting the grass seed down now is too much work. But you could get sod. But, you know, what you could do also is, you know, once you've got, you're sure that you've killed off, you know, kill off the creeping Charlie, whatever it happens to be, broadleaf weed, Work some compost into this soil and get it all ready, and then you could lay sod, you know, during the heat of the summertime, except unless you're trying to do bluegrass or fescue. I don't recommend bluegrass or fescue putting the sod down in the summertime because you can do it. It's just a lot of extra work. So, mm-hmm. 
then, you know, you are going to have some ugly spots. There's no getting around it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's what I needed to know. Thanks yeah. a lot. And the problem with not with waiting, let's say you don't want to see the ugly spots. You know you're going to wait until September to put the seed down. A lot of times by that you know, particular calendar date, the weeds are slowing down and the the effectiveness of the herbicides, the weed killers is somewhat limited. So when they're very actively growing, that's the time when you want to go after them. So you're just going to have to kind of live with some ugly spots until, you know, until late August, mid-August or whatever it happens to be before you put the seed down. Now let's go back over to Illinois, Jerseyville, and Bob lives in Jerseyville. Morning, Mike. Hi. Thank you for having me on your show, because sure. if you weren't there, I wouldn't be calling in. <laughs> You're very smart. Uh, <laughs> smart Alec, probably. <laughs> no, smart. <laughs> smart for calling in. Um, help me with something, Mike. Uh, months back, someone was talking about tomatoes, and you suggested, if now I may be wrong, so you can correct me, that tomatoes should be trimmed back at times. In other words, you know how they run. Right. And I never heard that before. And would you explain to me when to do that, what the benefit is and and how to go about it? OK, it's it's going to be variety wise as much as anything. So certain varieties, you don't need to do it. But you, you can see with your tomatoes, you you know, if you start to see new branches come out at the intersection of where the branch is off the main trunk, eliminate some of those because you don't need a whole lot of growth. You want to just, you know, make sure that the plant is healthy, that you're fertilizing it, keeping it well watered because tomatoes like a lot of water. But you start getting a lot of excessive growth, and it's not helping the overall health and certainly not, let's say, the end result of actually harvesting a tomato. So if I cut those off, will it tend to grow more branches in closer to put uh, blooms on or... Yes, what, that's what you're trying to do. You just don't want, I mean, some of them get really totally wild and crazy as far as the growth goes. Some of them, right. you know, don't do that. So it's going to be variety-wise as much as anything. But limit the amount of growth that's, you know, that's, because you just don't need it going all over the place because some of the plant is not going to be able to support, even if it does push out a lot of flowers, a lot of those flowers because of the weather and everything else is just going to abort anyway. So just control the size of your plants. Okay. All right. I never heard that. And, I, and they do, as you say, they go wild and go everywhere. Yes. It, it ends up being hard to, you can't hardly, you can't stake them up. No, so. you can't. And so, you know, for, again, as I said, variety wise makes a big difference, but, you know, get, keep them under control. Because you can see when you go, you know, places that, like, I'm not saying you're not a professional tomato grower, but when you I'm go not. places, you see it and they're, most of the time the plants are fairly compact. Right. Okay. Great. Great. Thank you very much, yeah. Mike. Certainly, and now let's come into Maryland Heights and go into Dan's yard. Hi, Dan. Hey, Mike Vincent, take my call. Sure. Uh, a, a while back, you said something about a white powdery um, mildew thing. I have these ponytail palms. They are, they're in an east window. Only one of them seems to get this white powdery, and then when you wipe it off, it's kind of sticky. Is that too much water, not enough? No, if it's sticky, that's from insects. So if it's like powdery mildew or just a fungus on the leaf, it's not going to be sticky. So look on the underside of the leaves, you know, and just, you know, check them out. And then either that or just with, I, I don't know how big your ponytail palm is and how many, le- you know, leaves it actually has. But just get some soap and, let's say, a paper towel and just run it the full length of each individual leaf to try to get rid of that entirely. 
But if it's sticky, that uh, says that says aphids, that says bugs. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. And uh, a lot of times what can happen is if it's aphids or mites or something along that line, the stickiness is there, but that is also a factory that can cause some fungal growth on the surface of the leaves. Now let's go to Fenton, and that's where Jim lives. Hi, Jim. Hey, good morning. Go ahead. Hey, I've got an 18-inch uh, oak tree. Uh, I cut off uh, about a 10-inch diameter lower limb three or four months ago. Not a whole darn tree is dying. Is it just a coincidence, or did I disrupt the whole system? No, you, it's just a coincidence. It has nothing to do with that. Now, what makes you think it's dying? I cut my leaf rake out every day, and all the leaves are falling off the tree. You can well, see half the tree is dying up on top. The other half is still alive. Yeah, that's Almost not... I think it might be like a lightning strike, uh, the way it looks, but uh, I can't say for sure. Yeah, it's, it doesn't... I mean, cutting a branch off, you know, that has nothing to do with killing a tree, and nothing would kill a tree that quickly. So I wouldn't be overly concerned with that. I would just make sure that, uh, you know, maybe wait for a little bit and just, you know, kind of watch it and monitor it. So it could be a lightning strike. It could be wind damage, like I was talking about that sweet gum tree that had the broken branches. So uh, to me, it sounds more physical than actually internal, especially if the All tree... All right, I'll give it some time. Yeah, especially if the tree looked healthy and has been healthy. At first, I thought you were going to say the leaves were turning yellowish, and that just means the soil pH is wrong. You need to get some, you know, let's say ferrous sulfate or iron sulfate on the ground. But if it's looking okay, except for some branches, I think that's probably physical more so than anything. So thanks, Yeah, Jim. well, the leaves are all green that are falling off, uh, and there's quite a few of them. Like I said, half the tree, the leaves are falling off, and uh, the other half, the leaves look fine. Yeah, just, you know, don't worry too much about it. And remember, the squirrels will eat and chop off leaves. So if you've got a big pile of leaves, it might have something to do with that. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will talk to you after the news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.